Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Sandra Rowinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, Richard Gasquet fans might not enjoy this podcast because while we're recording at 12 minutes past 8 UK time, 12 minutes past 9 French time with only one game played of Gasquet against Nadal, we all feel quite confident about recording this, assuming that Rafael Nadal is going to win that match fairly comfortably and that a miracle isn't going to befall Richard Gasquet tonight and it's not going to suddenly be out of date tennis news as much as our fans do enjoy that uh how how confident do we feel about this result having watched four points of nadal against gasquet chapter 18 i would say pretty much as confident as about any result that there is in the draw oh you sound like a man on the verge of using the phrase foregone conclusion (laughs) <laughs> if I was going to use it, it would be for this match. I mean, happy birthday, Rafa, by the way, 35 years of age uh, today. Yes, it's and... like someone has served him a birthday platter <laughs> in the form of Richard Gasquet, your dream opponent. They came along at the same time. They both sort of came along as these prodigious juniors, uh, 15 years of age, making their debuts and, and loads of hype about them all. And, and we've seen this a lot. It's so fascinating to watch a junior come along and make the transition and then so many years later you put them side by side and one's one's got double-digit grand slams and the other one hasn't. And it's always quite interesting to see that that process. I always remember Gail Monfils was an incredible junior. I remember him watching him win the junior Wimbledon final and he won three grand slam titles that year um, in the juniors. And today I've I've seen him and he's still great to watch, but... He's never reached a Grand Slam final, and that would have seemed crazy back then. You were in the locker room with Richard Gasquet before this match, Matt. I don't know why, but you're there. <laughs> what are you What's saying like, to Matt? him? Is it good in there? <laughs> Can you bring us some stuff? I'd, I'd imagine quite a sombre atmosphere. Um, what are you saying to him? How do you get him to believe? Of all the questions I've ever been asked on this podcast, <laughs> that might be the hardest. <laughs> I don't know. I've got the foggiest. Um, Would you say hit backhands from your forehand corner? Because it feels like <laughs> someone has said that to him. That's what he did on the first point. Yeah. yeah. I'm always intrigued by how broadcasters hype up a match like this, you know, because everyone's thinking the same thing. And David, you were telling us that Alex Correction on Eurosport just made the point that, you know, perhaps nerves have shrunk Richard Gasquet in the past at the French Open playing in an empty arena might be some sort of opportunity to, for him to just open his shoulders and see what he can do. But it feels like clutching at straws, doesn't it? Um, I mean, to me, the very fact that Nadal comes on with his own branded mask and Richard Gasquet's there in his disposable one just <laughs> just sort of tells the story right there in a very pandemic way. Yeah. Oh, it's it's. I think it's Breakpoint Nadal. Yeah, it's Breakpoint Nadal. <laughs> Maybe I'm really naive, but I just don't understand if you're Richard Gasquet, why you don't just come out and try and blitz the ball 
And you know, this well, is, is that a guy... what you would say to him, David? Yeah, Mister Motivator, David, you're in the locker room with him. Matt's been pushed out on his ear. <laughs> what would you I say? I would play him a video of Rocky Three when uh, <laughs> Paulie says to Rocky when he's about to face Mister T, he says, "Just go out and kill the guy." That's what I'd say. And and I and I and then I would show him a video of his 2007 match against Andy Roddick. When he's, I think he was two sets to love down, and I think he hit about eighty backhand winners, and uh, I commentated on that match, and I mean it was just extraordinary. And he and he wasn't rallying like this; he was just going for broke. There we go. Prep for playing the Dal at Roland Garros in 2021 is a video of playing Andy Roddick on grass at Wimbledon in <laughs> 2007. Was that? Yeah, just the 14 years have passed. To be honest, that already looks like better prep than what Richard Gasquet has been told uh, before this match. It's uh, it's not panning out for him so far, but we'll. I know you're on the edge of your seats, so we'll keep you posted. It's do you think been... this will, will this get edited if he's won? <laughs> <laughs> I think I think we will owe it to Richard Gasquet to record an in, entire new podcast if he wins, and I say that confident in the knowledge it it won't happen. Um, it's been quite a day, hasn't it? A, a thoroughly entertaining day, but for a, a, a one or two. Well, frankly, one massive, massive, massive low point, and that was the loss of Ash Barty, the top seed and one of the two defending champions on the women's side, depending on how you look at it. She she retired today, trailing by a set to Magda Lynette. She, she said after the match she just had no choice. It's the hip injury that... She was clearly hampered by in the opening round. She came out with that hip heavily strapped again. Um, she says it's a new injury. It's not one she's felt before. It's acute. She says her team know what they're dealing with um, and it just takes time. So it's just a race against time for Wimbledon and, and the grass courts now. She was she was measured as you'd expect. She didn't give too much away but she gave about as much away as I've ever seen from Ash Barty. It was clear she was gutted, perhaps not in her demeanour. She was very controlled in her demeanour, but in her words, you know, she kept saying, this is tough. She kept saying, you know, I was in great form. She she clearly felt so confident. And, you know, she said for for my body to be the thing that, that lets me down, I think she feels a real injustice in that because she's so supremely fit um yeah a, a really sad sight today i guess we i guess we're prepared for it a little after her first round match we lowered our sights considerably for ash Barty, but nonetheless to see to see the former champion limp off the court that way was was distressing mm. i mean we didn't get to see the injury as it happened because it happened in practice but it sounded very much like the simona Halep one in rome where you just What's happened there? I mean, that's just out of the blue. And, and I agree with you. I, did, I didn't see the press comments, but I read those quotes. And I, and I did think there is a woman who's who, – and she was nigh on uh, – I don't think Ash Barty could ever be accused of being smug. But she was as close to being sounding smug as, as possible before this tournament. The fact that she'd had that week on the, on the, in the south of France – on, on our own clock, enjoying life for a week, and then coming up here and clearly just brimming with confidence. Everything's right. Everything's ready. She's had all these months on the road. She's feeling fresh now, playing the best tennis of her life, and that happens. It's it's cruel, like, really. Yeah, it's it's an enormous shame. I think she's only retired from four matches in her whole career, and two of those have been in the last couple of weeks. And she said they're very, as you said, they're very different. I think the Rome injury was, I think in her words, an accumulation of load. She'd been playing a lot since she took the trip over from Australia and it just all caught up with her a little bit in Rome, whereas this was an acute incident, she said, you know, just just a freak thing landing on her serve in training. And yeah, it's it's an enormous shame for her and and for the women's draw. Quite frankly, I mean, there's still fabulous players left in the tournament, but I just can't help but think that we've lost so many names from this tournament and not had the joy of having the sort of exciting upset at the same time. You know, Hallett wasn't even in the draw. Barty's had this. Osaka withdrew. Kvitova had to withdraw. 
we had Muguruza and Andrescu not quite ready. It's it's been it's been a tough first week for the women, I must say. Just from that standpoint, so many exciting players, and they've all just sort of had this bad bad luck, really. Mm, the 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 three top players in the world are no longer in the draw, and none of them lost the last point. Mm. I know Halep was never in the draw. She pulled out just before, didn't she? But um, pretty extraordinary state of affairs to to be in. If you told us all a week ago that that's where we'd be, that's where we'd be, um, we would have scarcely believed it. I think. I, I mean, considering all of that, I'm amazed at how unweakened mm. the the women's draw seems. I mean, obviously it's depleted. Obviously, we would far rather those names that you mentioned still be in. But it's standing up pretty well i think to to the 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 knocks that it's taken we've got i mean the the loss of barty it's big for ons who now faces magdalenette for a place in the uh, in the second week it's big for coco goff and jennifer brady they will meet in the third round for a place in the second week i don't know i haven't actually checked that she's okay with me saying this but hannah that that runs our twitter during the the grand slams hello hannah she's great follow us on twitter um if you want informed irreverent brilliance from hannah hannah thinks that coco goff is going to the semi-finals and when she said that i looked at her drawer and i thought hmm, yeah maybe yeah i mean this is the first tournament that I've seen Coco Goff in where I don't think of her as just an up-and-comer who's making a, a mark I, but is not a, not relevant to the tournament and what will end up happening now she feels relevant she feels I mean I think we're still we're still caught between the two and we probably will be for another 18 months or so when she's 19 20 I think she could be absolutely a threat for the titles but her game stands up. I mean, to me, at least from the baseline, I think the, the serve is still questionable at, the, at, at this level because of the number of double faults, etc. She's going to get better, but I mean, heck, it's, it, the stride she's taken this year surprised me. Will, will she get past Brady? Who's the favourite in that one? I think she's probably the favourite based on form. She, she being Goff. Yeah, Goff. She's won, what, 11 of her last 12 matches, I think. Um, and just at this stage in her career, feels a little bit more comfortable on the clay compared to Brady. I think Brady's certainly got a game that can work. I watched quite a lot of her match today against Fiona Ferro, which was a cracking match. You know, the Simone Mathieu Stadium was really rocking by the end. Just there's something about a French player playing in France with a unique atmosphere and there's something about Fiona Ferro that seems to really connect with people. She's kind of like, she feels like one of them, like one of the crowd. She's sort of disarming in that way and unassuming. And I think they really get behind her. So Brady did very well to win through in that atmosphere. But I think Goff's playing better tennis at the moment than Jennifer Brady. So I would, I would just go with Goff based on everything David just said there. Mm, furrowed brow from David during that answer Matt <laughs> well I, I I'm my main feeling is how much I'm looking forward to watching mm. it because mm. I, I really enjoyed Brady against Farrow I, I didn't get to see all of it but you I mean both there's two players that we just discovered in the last year and they they bring something to the table and they're they're quite similar in terms of levels mm. uh, and they looked really closely matched and then to to now have Goff meeting the winner that's a really fantastic prospect. If they're both fully fit, I could definitely see that being tight. Um, I would have probably thought Brady would have been the favourite just because she's older. And But like I say, Goff is just generally accelerating her development before our eyes in a way that I really wasn't expecting this year. I, th- I still thought this would be a real development year, and I think it is that, but she's, she's just looking the part more. Mm. Mm. Well... Speaking of uh, speaking of matchups that we're looking forward to in round number three, thought that dog went to the <laughs> play date with Neville to tire her out. She did. She did. Listeners will never know the length that I've gone to to try and keep Billie Jean quiet during this podcast <laughs> recording, and they were so successful for thirteen whole minutes. Um, she will settle down, folks. Is um, it another squirrel? 
I think she, she she's going through a guard dog phase. She thinks there's someone at the door. I don't know what her her plan actually would be if there were an <laughs> intruder. I don't think she would be able to follow through. She's her bark's writing checks that her physicality <laughs> can't cash. You're say, is um, it, it's like some some wimp in a pub just kind of yeah, squaring up to that. people. Anyway, bless her, she's trying. Let's press on. If you're looking forward to that one in round three, David, how about Sloane Stevens against Carolina Mukova? Stevens was just sublime today. I thought she was like velvet. Uh, that's another Hannahism. Uh, she beat uh, Pliskova seven five six one. Uh, the seven seed Pliskova, the Rome finalist, but was that an upset? Well, the thing is, it's an upset in terms of what they've done over the last couple of years and their stature in the game, ranking and all the rest of it. But I'd, I think probably all three of us, if you'd have lined those two up and said, right, they're both going to play the best today, who's going to win? Sloane Stevens is going to win. She's, she's just a more talented tennis player, really. Um, I mean, my my mind does go back a little bit as well. A few, I think it was back maybe during Miami or somewhere around there. Um, Dan Evans was watching her on the TV at one of the tournaments he was at, and he he was transfixed by her. He just thinks she's the most talented woman in the world uh, in tennis, and and I mean, and that's sort of a player's player view. I think that that other players watch Sloane Stevens. She's that good. Interesting. Mm. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm pleased to hear that because that's how, as a layperson, I feel about her. I'm looking at her game, thinking, what would you change here other than make her able to produce this week in, week out? But she's obviously just not that kind of character, and we do accept that. Not, you know, mental toughness and and resilience, etc. That's a skill in itself, and and some have it and some don't. You know, Warinka's always talked about that, hasn't he? He just says, "I'm never going to." Even at his peak, he said, "I'm never going to be the guy that can do this week in, week out and summit summit the rankings." Um, but yeah, what what would you change in a game? Oh, nothing. I mean, it, no. When she when she's on, she's as good as anybody that's picked up a racket that's active today i think pretty much i i i don't i do also think i mean she's had a really tough year hasn't she and it's it's really quite heartwarming to see her out there doing what she loves to do and doing it well and there does i don't know if you saw the the post-match interview with sloan stevens but there does seem to be something something just a bit different about her right she seems she seems content she she seems happy to be there. She definitely seems bruised by the year she's had. I think she's definitely lost there's relatives, hasn't she? Y- she COVID, lost two right? two relatives to COVID nineteen in very quick succession, and then and then had very soon after that um, had to spend two weeks in in hard quarantine in Australia after you know suffering this awful period of time with her family um and well we can only imagine how tough that must have been so there's on one hand there's a sort of soberness about her but there's also a contentment i think with with being on the tour i'm reading between a lot of lines here because she doesn't give that much but i don't know that's Mm. that's the sort of disposition i'm that's what i'm reading into her disposition at the moment and I realised today how invested I am in the possibility of Sloane Stevens returning to the kind of tennis that won her the US Open and got her to the French Open final. I I want it more than I <laughs> had previously admitted to myself. Yeah, and you, and you got a little taste of it today because mm. because she it's was, the hope that kills. It is. She was so so good, and I agree. There is a different energy about her. This was. This was her first top 10 win since 2018. I just think that really puts into perspective how how hard she's been finding it to beat top players. Um, but I thought she was so focused today. Uh, she she served for the first set at 5-4 and there was a brilliant game. Pliskova really raised her level and broke back. But Stevens, that focus I'm talking about, was on display right there because she she kept maintained a strong level and broke back, won the set. And then in the second set, 
she just ran away and, and her game was flowing and those forehands were reminiscent of her forehand when it's at her best, when she's reached the final of Roland Garros before. I I love watching her play as well and I love watching Mukova play. So mm. count me in for that third round. Yeah, Stevens, Mukova. Uh, what have we? What else have we got? We've got uh, Kenin Pagula, Goff Brady, as I previously mentioned. Kenin Pagula is a good one, isn't it? Doesn't this just say everything, though? All those players you've listed that lost and, yeah. and are kind of dense in the draw. And Zachary Mertens. The, the depth is, is mm. mind-blowing, really. I mean, they're all losses. It doesn't mean that they're not. But still, you're left with these matches. And for people like us, I think they're fantastic. Yeah, it's quite interesting how the seeds, other than, other than Barty, have really got through in the top half. We were talking yesterday about that very open bottom quarter where I think the only player who's reached the Grand Slam semi-final is Vondrosheva. And there's eight of them, all with a big chance of getting there. But in the top half, as you said, the matchups we would have expected it to happen are going to be happening, all the ones you've just listed. And it makes it, makes it very exciting, I think. But having bigged up all of those matches... <laughs> And uh, all the depth of talent and how many contenders there are, does it all actually feel completely irrelevant because Igish Friontek is about 400 times better than everybody else at the moment <laughs> and is basically not even losing points, let alone games? I mean, losing sets feels like a sort of, I mean, just such a distant possibility. Um yeah, she played uh, Rebecca Peterson today, who I always feel is, whenever I see her play, I think she's so much better than her ranking. Um, she she won one game today, and I thought she played quite well. <laughs> she, was, she, she was in the rallies. She just couldn't end them. She just couldn't win the last stroke, as it were. She, she couldn't strike the hammer blow, and even though Peterson always seemed to be in the rallies... Sviontek knew exactly what she wanted to do, always, always thinking one, two shots ahead. It was extraordinary. Uh, I do feel sad in that way that Barty and Halep are not around because I I feel a bit robbed of those matchups. But Sviontek is just such a joy to watch. I mean, it it is like going back to last October. Who can beat her? Well, big big power players. Mm. I would have thought if the you know Sabalenka, Serena, if they're absolutely coming out laser in the ball, I think that they could shock Sviantek. Do you know what I mean? I think mm. that she's used to being in charge. That would be very interesting. What do you think, Matt? I agree. I th- I, I I do think Stevens at her best would be would be fascinating because she's got such good movement as well. And I don't know, maybe she could cut off some of those angles that Sviantek creates. Um, but it does feel like most of the matches are on Sviantek's racket. We're going to have years of this. Yeah, if it, it, it does feel eerily like last October, doesn't it? She's, she's so ruthless. It's, it's terrifying how ruthless she is. It's, uh, uh, yeah, it sends shockwaves through you. Quite interested to see how she would get on if she ended up playing someone like Serena, who's such a figure in the sport, mm. whether she'd be rattled at all by that. I, I can't even imagine her rattled. <laughs> I, I'm sure it's possible, but I find it quite hard to picture. I don't have the... My brain doesn't have the data to create that image at the moment. Can you see it, Matt? No, but <laughs> I guess maybe it's one of those things that you can't imagine until it happens. And Serena, mm. Serena does have an aura still. And, mm. you know, I mean, if the thing is, if they were to meet, it would be in, it the, would final. Be in the final. And mm. actually... Ooh, that'll do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But the thing is, Serena's the one who struggled in finals recently. Mm. So it would be a fascinating dynamic oh speaking of fascinating dynamic six love nadal first set i've just had a horrible memory of a spaniard 
beating a Frenchman. Mm, yeah, I was. That was the question I was about to go for. Is this a Sergio Bagheera Thierry Champion situation? And if it is, will Nadal try and give him a game? <laughs> I mean, Bregera so, did try and give Champion well, a game, didn't he? And he could—he wasn't. He, he in his own words, he wasn't good enough to take it. <laughs> oh God! Uh, Is that um, what we're going to see tonight? I mean, I'm sorry. Give the, the this, people some soon to be out of date tennis news, David. It feels like it, <laughs> Matt. He's going to get a game. Will Nadal give him that game? I don't think you'd give it him. No, I think you'll really. Win one. You think he'd go love, At love, and love? One. Oh yeah, Nadal would. There's no one there. Wow. <laughs> Nobody watching. There's the it's telly. Right. There's, the, there's all <laughs> the cameras. Nadal's, not, Nadal's, Nadal's so focused. He's not thinking yeah. about that. He doesn't know. I don't think he'd know how. To oh, give God. Him. It's um, so. It's, it's you know, horrific. You know how I'd suggested the Rocky Three pep talk? <laughs> um, Rocky did try and go out and kill the guy and got knocked out in the second round. So. Um, oh. Yeah. Right. Okay. <laughs> Didn't work out too well. <laughs> hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Let's move on to the men's draw uh, and Agro Federer. Our new favourite Federer. <laughs> He's, He's 39 years old. Federer. He turns 40 in two months. And yet we saw a new a new dimension to Roger Federer today. I know we've seen Aggie Federer before, but I just felt like today was just a little bit of a new facet of Aggie French Federer. <laughs> a sort of really petty Agginess. It was so glorious. Um, he won, by the way, in four sets against Marin Cilic. Um, pretty tight up until a, a third set tie break. And then Federer just rolled through the gears, rolled through that tie break and then rolled through the fourth set. And that was what he was he was most pleased with, with the win. He, he was really buzzing, I thought, um, on the court and in the press conference after that victory. Really chatty and talkative and... And brimming with confidence, in fact. I think he's playing better than he expected to be, for sure. Um, and the fact that he had those gears available to him today, which, frankly, Marin Cilic didn't, um, I think that that brought him a lot of satisfaction. But um, but I've spent too long talking about anything but the, uh, <laughs> the Federer Aginus. Could somebody describe the sequence of events that brought about petty... Aggie Federer. Um, well, I, I think the gist of it was that he was 
trying to get used to this thing with the towel on either side of the court without a ball kid bringing them the towel. I mean, this didn't no really one's, happen. No one's ever been so befuddled by towels as yeah. Roger Federer. He, um, he just what, can't get his head around towels. What makes the, the aggro from Federer so glorious at this stage of his career is he, he comes across as the slightly grumpy old man who remembers it how it used to be and suddenly we've got to do it. I mean, not that he's anti the measures because obviously there's a good reason for them, but, you know, it didn't used to be like this. And, oh, God, I've got to go over there and get that, have I? And um, they're saying I'm taking too long and uh, and Marin Cilic seemed to be saying that he was taking too long the umpire gave him a warning didn't he gave Federer a warning was it was it a time violation is mm. that what he yeah, got yeah for holding up Marin Cilic when Cilic was <laughs> ready to serve yeah and Brilliant. of course and of course the great irony is that Federer had spent a not inconsiderable amount of time waiting for Cilic to stop bouncing the ball at this point <laughs> which he was quite happy to point out afterwards <laughs> yeah because he wasn't just Aggie on the court, and he really was Aggie on the court, all he's, in French with the umpire. It was wonderful. He said to the umpire, I've listened to you, now you listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he said, you think? Well, you thought wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it's like lines from Coronation Street. Um, he's, and just when you think, you know, he's, he's a good friend of Marin Cilic, I think. You, you'd think he, I was expecting him to sort of back away from it in, in press after say, oh no no, it's nothing. I I love Marin, there's no there's no beef. He sort of says with a, a childlike grin on his face when he's asked about it, he said, Well, when he puts his foot down ready for the serve, he's not ready for the serve. There's still ten bounces or something. I feel like start bouncing and I'll rock up ready to return when you're ready to serve. <laughs> Which did, was, he have a glint, did he have a smile on his face? Oh, yeah. 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 Very funny. It was really great. And, he, you know, I don't want to be all um, boring about it, but he does raise a discussion point about whether the clock starts ticking before or after you start bouncing. Does the bounce start count as part of the service motion? I personally don't think it should, but there doesn't seem to be a hard and fast rule about that. Um I get the feeling Federer would quite like there to be a hard and fast rule about that in future. Um, he had a, he was he was as he often is full of interesting quotes today. Uh, he was asked about how his body is feeling on the clay, in particular how his knee is holding up, the knee that he's had the most recent surgery on. He said people think clay is slow; it's not that slow. If you're playing on a day when it's quite warm, then it can be faster than most hard courts. And then he talked about, he said, obviously, there's other difficult things about clay, like bad bounces and sliding, etc. But, you know, he highlighted it being a bit of a sort of lazy misconception or perhaps an out of date misconception that clay is slow. It's just not as simple as that. Love one fifteen thirty, Gasquet against Nadal. Um, so that was Federer today. Um, he now plays uh, Dominic Kupfer, the German, who beat Taylor Fritz today. Um, and he beat him fair and square, but Taylor Fritz's right knee gave out on him on the last point of the match. He hobbled to the net um, and he actually left the court in a wheelchair. It was a really tough one to see for a, for a young player and ultimately a really disappointing result for Fritz, who enjoys the clay. You know, second round against Dominic Kupfer, you'll... You'll take that, I think, if you're, you're Taylor Fritz. That's a missed opportunity. But, yeah, I think Federer also will take a third round against Kupfer, don't you think? Yeah, I think so. I mean, he he's good on clay, Kupfer. But I think if, if you'd said to Federer, you'll get three best-of-five set matches at the French Open, he'd have been delighted about that. He is he's gaining so much information, I think, every time he, he steps on court. He was talking today about how he's still struggling a little bit with the defence, but that was emphasised by how hard Cilic hits the ball and really pushes you back. But in attack, he's he's getting increasingly sharp, I think. Um, and if he can get through that one, he's likely to have a crack at Berrettini, and that would be a real test of where his level is um, because Berrettini's playing very well. So I think so far it's been pretty much the perfect French Open for Federer that he would have that he would have wanted. Yeah, massive test, I think. Berrettini, he looks... I know we, we talked in Madrid about how he's looking a, a different beast to, to how we've ever considered him in the past. I feel like he's gone up 
another level. You described in David today as looking solid and menacing all at the same time. The crowd absolutely love him in Paris, don't they? There's something there's something happening with Berrettini in, in Paris, mm. I think. Yeah. It, it feels like it's coming together. He's cool. He connects. Uh, he was playing um, Correa. Is it Federico Correa? Mm-hmm. Younger brother today? of Guillermo. Yeah, and I mean, they were going at each other. They, it was all, all with smiles on the face, but they were really going at each other, falling out, arguing, hitting good shots at each other. And Berrettini basically just too powerful for him. Too, the moment it gets on his forehand, he just takes over. And he's happy to, he's happy to wait on his backhand and just bunt it or chip it. And then eventually he gets around onto that forehand and it's pretty much game over. He look he does, he looks fast, he looks strong. I mean he he's gonna take some stopping, I think. I, I could see him going deep here. Mm, I, I, Berrettini, assuming that matchup happens in the fourth round, Berrettini goes in as favourite for for my money. Mm. I mean Federer can disrupt those players though. Yeah, you're right. Mm. I think that'd be brilliant. Mm. Watching him try to decode. Mm. I am just having a flashback of predicting that Berrettini (laughs) (laughs) would cause Federer some trouble before losing the the quickest ever uh, fourth round match at Wimbledon. Gasquet's got a game and he's got Love 30. It was a a different time for Berrettini. Um, (laughs) Oh my goodness me, it's one all, Love 30 on Nadal's serve. It's happening. Nadal's missing quite a bit. Yeah. Anyway. I'm I'm transfixed by it now. I'm unable to podcast. Um, <laughs> uh, Novak Djokovic was blooming brilliant today, wasn't he? He was yeah. uh, playing out on Suzanne Longland Court. Kind of at the set, he coincided mostly with when Federer was playing on Chatteret, so he kind of got eclipsed a bit, but just just went about his business. And similarly to uh, to Rebecca Peterson, I don't think Cuevas played badly today. Um, he gave a good account of himself, but Djokovic. One in three sets was just, yeah, sublime, I thought. I, th- I think that's the best tennis I've seen in the men's draw so far, this tournament. The racket was like a trampoline. The way the ball comes off it, you know, you don't think of Djokovic as a power player necessarily. He he breaks you down with a cumul- accumulation of of blows. Well, when, the, when he's really timing the ball, he is powerful and... Cuevas felt that today because Cuevas was, as like you said, Catherine, he was playing well, but he got handily beaten. And uh, Djokovic just looks in a really good place. Well, the place he's in is a third round matchup with Ricardis Barankis, which I'm going to call a good draw. Is anybody going to disagree with me? You just want to throw the shade back to your old pal. No. All due respect, <laughs> he's earned his place there. Is Ricardis Barankis to replace in the second week a good draw? I think it's a great draw. (laughs) Yes. Uh, So that matchup will be happening in a couple of days' time. I'll tell you what, today was a good day for the movement. Maybe not the original movement, but what we might call the second wave of the movement. About fourth wave. (laughs) Second waves are very much in fashion at the moment. The movement used to be what the next gen is now, I think, isn't it? I've I've completely lost track of that. uh, Give me names. The movement... Back in the day, the movement was Ferrero and all that. Yeah, so there was the movement, which was that. Then there was was another generation, which was like really good. Nadal, Djokovic, Murray. Then Then there was next gen. Okay. And now we're I'm, on... You, you've I'm talking the about the mo- gen, Matt. No, no. Oh, I'm talking the about gen. the modern yeah. movement. I was talking about the modern movement, as in the movement reincarnated, which is the next gen, i.e. Yasitsipas, Yazverev, Yerublev. Now, you might call Alcaraz and Musetti, who both won today... And Sinner. And Sinner. You might call them the second wave of the next gen. Because they are significantly younger. Do you see see what I mean? Yeah. I mean, we don't have to put everything in a, in a COVID analogy. But, um... <laughs> I did think, can we come up with another one? <laughs> another way of describing them. <laughs> the new wave. Yes. Um, anyway, 
which is a very uh, long-winded, not particularly successful way of making the point that Carlos Alcaraz and Lorenzo Musetti both won today. Alcaraz beat Basilashvili. Uh, Musetti beat Nishioka. First time in the third round of a slam for both. Now, for Alcaraz, he's the youngest man to reach round three at Roland Garros since 17-year-old friend of the pod, Andre Medvedev. In 1992, he's also now the youngest man to reach the third round at any Grand Slam since 17-year-old Rafael Nadal at the 2004 Australian Open. He's happening, Matt. He's happening, and you were an early adopter. Feels great. (laughs) (laughs) You were the earliest adopter I know. (laughs) And I believe it's the first time there were three... Teenagers into round three at Roland Garros, Musetti, Alcaraz, and Sinner since 2001, which was the original movement time. Right? That was that was Federer, Roddick, and Robredo. Oh my God, Robredo being part of the movement. He was in qualifying this week. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I watched it. He, he was is trying still, his heart out. Still moving, just about. <laughs> He's great. I love him. He's about 39. Yeah. Anyway, carry on. Who have they got next? I mean, Musetti is playing his first slam, I think, isn't he? So Musetti has Cecchinato next, countryman, former semi-finalist, of course, but, you know, winnable. Mm. And Alcaraz has Alcaraz has Struff. I would say so the same. Yeah, tough, tough but winnable. Tough but winnable, yeah. Mm. And and Sinner, I think, has a, has a very winnable one as well. So mm. they're coming. So, Sinner plays Imma, which, again... <laughs> Send send your jokes in. <laughs> You've got two days' time to, to come up with a, a one-liner for Sinner versus Immer. Uh, Immer beat uh, an injured Guillermo Fies today. Really bizarre match. First top 20 win for, for Immer. It looked very much like Guillermo Fies was going to retire after the first set. Um, but in fact, he went off court for a medical timeout, came back, broke immediately. Um, looked like sort of classic Monfils chaos was going to ensue. He did win that second set, but then... Then the challenge tapered off. He was very hampered on serve and, uh, and Imma did win through in the end. We lost Aslan Karatsev today. Barty yes, aside, that, <laughs> that, was, uh, that was the biggest shock. Now, I say it was a good day for the movement. I don't know what, what movement Philip Kohlschreiber is a part of, <laughs> but it's, it's a moving. Yeah. It's moving a bit slower than it used to. But at 37 years old, he's he's beaten Aslan Karatsev today. And that counts as a massive shock these he days. He was really good, Catherine. I'm telling you, I watched this because I'd got a vested interest having got Karatsev in my quarterfinal lineup. So he's in my bad books. But tell you what, Kohlschreiber took him to the cleaners today. He really did. He just carved him apart. And he strikes a, be- a lovely ball and he just redirects it so well. He's just a clever, seasoned player who maybe lacked the weapons to be and the, and the serve and the size to be able to go any higher than he already did. And he's had a really good career. Let's not forget he beat Andy Roddick at the Australian Open when Roddick was at his absolute best. Um, but... It was, this was a shock, given what we've seen this year with Karatsev. I wasn't, I wasn't anticipating it. And, um, yeah, very, very disappointed in you, Aslan. He's disappointed in himself, I think, if his remonstrations are anything to go by. Oh, it's the pretty... racket smash was, was almost worth the win. <laughs> he, he tried. smacked it on the side of the court I mean actually it was a bit bit dangerous what he did because he smashed it on the railing right next to the, the spectators and then that wasn't enough so he just destroyed it into the ground twice mm. he tried his trick from the Australian Open of uh, go on Catherine I went to toilet <laughs> Yes, and, and and it worked for a set this time, but not enough to get him fully back into the match. Someone who will be pleased about that result, I think, is Diego Schwartzman, because he's been manhandled by Karatsev twice this year, and now he gets to play 37-year-old Philip Kohlschreiber instead. That's... Manhandled by Russia's secret weapon. Poor Diego. Uh, so that's your roundup. 
of day five at Roland Garros. What have you got to look forward to on day six? Well, Philippe Chatre starts with Azarenka against Madison Keys, who we just we just don't mention Madison Keys, do we? It's extraordinary. Mm. Um, she wins tomorrow. She, we we promise to mention her. She'll be who's the, winning that? Do you think? Do you think Keys? I think can win Azarenka. That? I think Keys can win. She's got a better pedigree at this tournament. She beat Leila Fernandez in round two, and mm. I thought that was a really good win. I would have probably thought Fernandez might win that on form, but then I read a quote mm. from Fernandez who said, "On a scale of one to ten, I was a zero. <laughs> Which, I mean, great quote, but <laughs> <laughs> wow, a bit alarming. Not even a one, and it's a scale of mm. one to ten. Yeah, wow. Um, then it's Zverev against Laszlo Gera. Uh, then not before 4pm locals, Serena Williams against Daniel Collins, match of the day uh, for my money. Really can't wait for that. And then not before 9pm local time, sit to pass against Isner. I don't care who you think will win. What time do you think it'll finish? I mean, that could be early hours. Really. Yeah. Good. Will that finish before midnight? Well, if it goes beyond three sets, no. No. Yeah, interesting scheduling. Um, then on Suzanne Longland, it is Rabatkina against Viznina. Uh, then Fanini against Federico Del Bonis. Don't make me regret everything I said about you yesterday, Fabio. Then it's a Pelka against Medvedev. And then it's playing a Herzog against Marketa Vondrosheva. Kortsimun Mathieu starts with Pavlichenkova against Sabalenka. Then Nishikori aiming to go fewer than five sets. Or maybe not. Maybe he wants to go five sets against Henry Laxanen. Um, then Steve Johnson against Pablo Corona Busta. And then it's Bedosa against Bogdan. So that is tomorrow's schedule for you. So a couple of last bits of news um the first one from today is that the positive COVID-19 tests returned for two doubles players they haven't been officially named uh, by the tournament but Nik- Nikola Mektic and Mate Pavic the top seeds have been removed from the draw um really tough for them they've been practically unbeatable this year Mektic and Pavic a new partnership all Croatian partnership for this year obviously targeting the Olympics um, yeah, just incredibly unfortunate for them. Since the beginning of the tournament on the 24th of May, uh, 2,446 tests have been performed on players and their teams. And this was the first occurrence in which the tournament organisers uh, must had to remove players in accordance with their health protocols. So, well, it's desperately unfortunate for those two overall, touch wood, um, that is, uh, yeah, that is a pretty encouraging set of statistics on the COVID-19 front. So long may that continue. Um, and the second bit of news is uh, is rather upsetting, I'm afraid, uh, with the very sad news that Bill Scanlon has died. Um, he was a former top 10 ATP player, an NCAA singles champion. He, he was well known for beating John McEnroe at the 1983 US Open. And according to Chris Clary at the New York Times, is best remembered in tennis for recording the men's tour's first golden set in February 22nd, 1983. He didn't lose a point to Marcus Hochevar in the second set of a first round match in Delray Beach. It was the only one for 29 years until Yaroslava Shvedova did it at Wimbledon. And I remember Bill Scanlon's name coming up around the time that Shredova did that golden set at Wimbledon. Very sadly, uh, Bill Scanlon died of cancer aged 64 yesterday. And in the words of uh, Richard Evans, friend of the pod and uh, esteemed tennis journalist and broadcaster, he said, Bill Scanlon's death will be devastating to all who knew him. Such a bright, energised, amusing figure on the ATP tour. Brilliant player, blessed with rare talent. My thoughts are with his family, RIP Bill. So lovely words from Richard Evans. And uh, yeah, we would echo that. Absolutely a sad loss to the tennis world. Um, We've got mascots. 
I did better today for Zeus. Everybody else failed miserably. So did you, apolog- who did you get today? Right. I got Sloane Stevens. Oh, well I done. I told you, I'm all in. I'm all in yeah. on Sloane Stevens, oh, me and Zeus. Uh, David let Rogue down. Matt let Scousel Mousel down. Uh, Billy, <laughs> Billy Jean's let everybody down today. She did... <laughs> She did so well. To be fair, she's she's kept her kept her mouth shut since since that that one indiscretion. Um, so improvement for Billie Jean and her her sponsor, Billie Jean King. Actual words I get to say. Uh, we've got shout outs, but before that, I just want to remind you that we have a tennis podcast merch shop. Uh, t-shirts are very much available. Uh, you can have a tennis podcast t-shirt, a tennis relived t-shirt, an I love tennis t-shirt, or an on the boat t-shirt. Um, my mum has an on the boat t-shirt, despite, in her own words, never ever wanting to go near a bloody boat. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So you can get yourself on the boat without ever having to go on a boat. Lucky you. Yeah. Uh, so head to the shop. There's details in our newsletter. If you're not subscribed to the newsletter, what are you doing? Uh, it's great. Get yourself subscribed. Our executive producer is Chris Albert Lee. He's a top bloke. He never lets us down. Uh, Matt, who are our shout outs for? Caroline Dove. Oh. Oh. All right, Caroline. That's very poetic. My favourite type of bird. Right. Is that a thing? Are we supposed I, to have favourite types say, of birds? I, I don't have a list. Well, I have. So, <laughs> right. Caroline. Okay. Thanks a lot. Well, that's something that will be consuming my thoughts for the rest of the evening. What's your favourite type of bird? Uh, well, it's the yeah. one that sponsors the podcast, isn't it? Right, so. okay. Um, next up, Matt. <laughs> it'd, be, it'd be funny <laughs> if I came out with, you know, Ian Hawke or something. Um <laughs> But no, Dennis Curly. Oh, oh hello. Dennis. My like favourite that. type of chocolate bar, <laughs> Curly Whirly. I, I can't follow that. Hello, Dennis, like Shapovalov. Thanks yes. for your support. And last one today is friend of the pod, Sophie Smith. Oh, hey. hey. Hi, Sophie. And, hello, Sophie. And also a shout out uh, for Tilly. Who is one of our one of our youngest listeners? I think Sophie's daughter. Oh, lovely! Thank you so much. Thank you, Sophie. You're a great supporter of the pod, and we much appreciate it. So that was your day five French Open tennis podcast. We have valiantly struggled through the opening two rounds. We get to kick off round three in earnest tomorrow. David, Matt, thank you, thank you for listening, and we'll speak to you tomorrow. 